Hello, and welcome to another episode of EDS at Union Now. Bishops United Against Gun Violence is a group of more than 80 Episcopal bishops working to curtail the epidemic of gun violence through public liturgy, teaching resources, and persistent advocacy for common-sense gun safety measures. Dean Kelly Brown Douglas recently spoke with several leaders from Bishops United Against Gun Violence about the importance of faith leaders addressing this crisis and how this work has become a significant part of their vocations as bishops. If you are enjoying EDSA Union now, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and let us know what you think by leaving a review. And with that, enjoy Dean Douglas's conversation with Bishops Mark Beckwith, Marianne Buddy, and Ian Douglas. I would like to welcome in conversation with us Bishops Mark Beckwith, who is the uh, Bishop of the Diocese of New York, Bishop Ian Douglas, Bishop from the Diocese of Connecticut, and Bishop Marianne Buddy, Bishop from the Diocese of Washington, D.C. They are also founding members of Bishops United Against Gun Violence. We are here today to discuss, indeed, this very important issue and, indeed, the crisis that has plagued our country in the last several years, and that is the crisis of gun violence. We will be discussing this afternoon not only what the role of Bishops United is in trying to face this crisis, but what we all can do and what it is that has drawn us and why this is an important issue for the church to indeed address. So thank you all for being with us. I want to jump right in and begin by asking you, what's Bishops United and why was it founded? Bishop Beckwith, let me ask you that question. It began a little over six years ago when a colleague of mine, Steve Miller from Milwaukee, called me at the suggestion of the then presiding Bishop Catherine Jefford Shorey uh, to talk about gun violence. And then I was at a meeting with two other colleagues from Chicago, Jeff Lee and uh, Baltimore, Eugene Sutton, and we agreed that we'd want to begin to have conversations, see what we could develop as bishops around this issue. And then Newtown happened two weeks later. And when Newtown happened in uh, December of 2012, uh, within a month, we had 10, 15 bishops that wanted to get on the call, on a call together and figure out how we can use um, our, our respective platforms and how we can join together to address uh, this growing scourge of gun violence. Yeah, what I find interesting in uh, your response to how Bishops United was founded is that, in fact, it wasn't a particularly massacre in Newtown that was the impetus, but that you were already coming together to found Bishops United and to find a way to respond to the scourge of gun violence. And so that leads me to ask each of you, what inspired you to become engaged in this issue? Bishop Buddy. Uh, thank you. I, it had been in the back of my mind as a troubling reality. Mostly, I, I confess, in awareness prompted by recurring crises of, of, of a large-scale nature. Uh, well before Newtown, just one after another, and and leading up to the uh, presidential election of of 2012, a real sense that no one in the political establishment was willing to discuss gun violence, 
um, because of the authority and power of the National Rifle Association to have such an overriding impact on their chances for being reelected. And it was, it, was, it was in the back of my mind, and it, it struck me as just one of the most depressing dimensions of our body politic. And I was inspired to jump in in this particular issue. The um, tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary School occurred just in my first season of, of the Episcopate. And I happened to be in conversation with Ian Douglas that very morning discussing a rather routine topic that bishops check in with one another about as Ian was just learning that there was something happening within his jurisdiction. And then later in the day when I circled back and, and discovered and realized what it was, the dean of our cathedral at the time, also new to his post, a Dean Gary Hall, had decided that this was an issue that he was going to take on. And I said to myself, well, we don't know each other very well. I don't know what a public life and witness in the Episcopate is, but if there ever was an issue that my heart felt compelled to address, it was, it was this. I, I also need to say that in that particular moment of time, this was early December, this is right after President Obama's re-election, there seemed to be a, a moment in the country where it felt like, you know, we can do this now. We can address the disproportionate power of the NRA to block common sense gun legislation. And in that, we were wrong. We were completely wrong. But it did not waver my sense that, okay, this isn't going to be an easy struggle, but it was nonetheless one to which I had dedicated before God a significant portion of my public ministry. Thank you. I want to follow up on a couple of things you said later in that regard, but I want to ask Bishop Douglas, uh, as well as uh, Bishop Beckwith, what inspired them to become engaged in this issue? Um, well, as Bishop Diocesan in the Episcopal Church in Connecticut, and we've already mentioned it a few times this afternoon, is the horrific tragedy of Sandy Hook in December 2012. And Mark alluded to the fact that I mean, God works in mysterious ways, even in the church, that two weeks prior to the tragedy at Sandy Hook, bishops were having conversation with the invitation of the presiding bishop, all of whom their lives and their ministries were affected by gun violence. Whether it was Bishop Miller in Milwaukee and the shootings on the First Nations, the Native People's Reservation, or Mark in Newark and Jeff Lee in <clears throat> Chicago, who deal with urban gun violence all the time, and Bishop Eugene Sutton in Maryland, where a clergy person was sadly a former student of mine at the Episcopal Divinity School, an alum of EDS, was sadly killed in her office in the church by a homeless person who had access, uh, you know, a mentally ill person who had access to firearms. So all three of these bishops were deeply affected at the, four bishops were deeply affected at the personal level. And then, of course, as Marianne said, we were, we were literally on the phone when I learned via text and, and email what was developing at Sandy Hook. And it was that tragedy, that commitment, that bishops, all five of us bishops and more, said, particularly when we get together in the the 2013 House of Bishops meeting, we have to have a conversation. 
we have to have a conversation about what this means for our lives, for our ministries, for the church, for our nation, and for our world. This nonsense cannot continue. And it was a very profound time at the House of Bishops meeting that spring where, where people actually got very real. Gun owners, lifelong NRA members, um, uh, those who have permits to carry a concealed weapon and do right through bishops who uh, want to repeal the Second Amendment. And we, we were really brutally honest with ourselves that this nonsense needs to needs to stop. For me personally, here in Connecticut, you know, I didn't anticipate addressing the epidemic of gun violence as a major part of my role and vocation as bishop in this place. It is of the context. It has been given to me because of where I sit, literally. And given to me not only because of Sandy Hook, but what I came to learn, Connecticut, Connecticut is the birthplace of the majority of arms manufacturing in the United States. And many, particularly the Connecticut River Valley, where I live, was the primary transportation route, innovation route for the manufacturing of guns. And I would go even further to say, we as Episcopalians have been caught up deeply in the manufacturing of guns and firearms since the beginning in this nation. It was the Colt family that brought us, and they were a deep and committed Episcopal family, that brought us the automatic weapon as a handgun. Episcopalians invented the modern automatic firearm handgun at Colt Manufacturing, the Colt 45. And we as a church continue to profit from the Colt legacy, from endowments held, with, with money that was made by the Colt firearms, not directly within our diocesan resources, but one of our parishes. One of our churches was the Colt Family Church, where there are guns literally carved into the lintels over the doors. And there are many Episcopalians in Connecticut who are avid gun owners, work in the gun industry to this day, and one of our parishes even has a shooting range in its basement. So it's not as if Connecticut is some um, blue state kumbaya against gun violence. This is the, the divisions that we have in the United States and the lack of space to have conversation, sane conversations about the epidemic of gun violence, I feel deeply amongst Episcopalians and the people of Connecticut. So it's a vocation that's been given to me. Thank you for that actually very moving response and also in hearing about the Episcopal Church's complicity in so many respects in this uh, scourge of gun violence that we see. And again, I want to come back to that, but I want to give Bishop Beckwith uh, an opportunity uh, to respond to this question about what inspired him, because it's one thing to be asked to join Bishops United, and it's another thing to be inspired prior to this organization to want, in fact, uh, to do something about it. I think all of us consider ourselves <clears throat> followers of the Prince of Peace, and guns are 
implements of violence. And uh, it's no surprise to any of us that we all have impulses toward violence and guns uh, are the ultimate implement for violence. And so is there anything that we can do as peacemakers, believers in peace, advocates for peace, to minimize the epidemic of gun violence. And Marianne mentioned earlier the NRA, which is very, very focused and effective in their message, and they would make the case that guns are implements of peace when, in fact, all the evidence suggests otherwise. And that evidence just continues to come forth. We uh, take note of that evidence, and we as purveyors of language try and speak to this uh, speak to this act in, in response to it, witness to a world where uh, violence does not need to have the, the level of chaos and, and cruelty and, and uh, destruction that it does. So I, I've, I've been really, really passionate about this. And as bishops, we have a lot of things to do to maintain to the, the, the system, the organization, uh, ordinations, confirmations, congregational uh, transitions, all of that. This is an issue, this is a gospel issue that has bound us together in an informal but very powerful way that keeps us moving forward. Well, and that leads me to the next question. What difference does it make for you as bishops to be involved? What difference does it make for the church to be involved in this issue? And when I say what difference does it make, how is it different than others, say every town and other groups, uh, social activist groups that are engaged again in this uh, fight to do something about uh, gun violence in terms of uh, reasonable gun control laws, et cetera. What difference does it make that we're bishops, we're the church. Uh, what are we bringing to this that perhaps is different than others are bringing? I'll, I'll start. On the one hand, I don't know in God's eyes that it's different. I think the Holy Spirit moves and guides and directs people in ways in and out of institutional expressions of the gospel. So I, there's a part of me that humbly says that, you know, when you know, as we learn over it over again in scripture, if there are no people within uh, the holy people to God will raise up anybody to do the work. So there's that part of this truth. Um, the other part, though, is for me, a recognition that when people of faith have histor historically, when people of faith choose to seek God's will in a particular way, in a particular movement to help change the world for the better, um, there is a transformational power unleashed both within the church and in the society at large. And I think as we've talked, um, Ian Douglas has, has mentioned, you know, we are all complicit in ways that we may not realize and the sins that we decry. And we're also, when we touch upon one particular, or we look through the society at one particular, through one particular lens, we're, we see other things that are related that we didn't realize or didn't think of as related. And so, for example, in our work, as you well know, through gun violence, we've been also talking about the, whole, the, the disholy trinity, as we've called it, of, of poverty and racism and violence, and that these realities are interwoven and connected. And um, to, to try to pull them out from one another would be disingenuous, but we all have a point of entry or perhaps a moment that inspired us, a path that opened before us that we chose to walk through. And, and I sense that the Holy Spirit 
is at work in this in ways that are beyond our understanding, but our job is to be faithful in whatever path we're given. So gun violence is one lens that puts us in some way into the public arena for the greater good and for the sake of kind of healing and nonviolence, as, as Mark said, that is part of God's dream for us all. Let me ask you this as you've raised it, uh, Bishop Buddy, in your response, and this is the matter of race. And we know that many people have become engaged in this issue of gun violence in response to some of the major events that we have seen and major tragedies. And we've also recognized that the faces of those major tragedies have often been white faces. Right. And that's caused people's consciousness to be raised about guns in a particular way. Let me ask you, what difference have you seen race has played in this? And how can we begin to address this issue of race and the way in which gun violence has impacted people's lives beyond these major crises, that major tragedies that we see, and get people and even the church engaged in an understanding of that at a different level? Well, let me just say a couple things, and then I'll, I'll give up the mic. The, it, it's, a, it's a reality that far more people of color are affected by gun violence than, than white people. So that's just a given. But the epidemic in those communities is not as dramatic in terms of quantity in a given instant. It's usually smaller incidents of violence, often gang-related, that are reported and re responded to in a much different mm -hmm. way by the wider society. And so that's a learning. That's a, a reality that once you're in the water, you can't help but recognize and you have to deal with. Um, if you're a white person like me and having to learn the terrain and learn the, the, you know, what the issues uh, truly are. There is also an incredible link between, as, as Ian mentioned, you know, sources of power and money and where the symptoms of violence are most acutely felt. And there's often a real disconnect there so that there are people who are truly benefiting and getting, a, getting really rich off of the proliferation of guns in our country, but they are not experiencing the violence in the way that poorer communities and, and uh, communities of color are experiencing. Grace comes in, um, in those moments when we can look across the barriers that often divide us and we see uh, a brother and sister in, in Christ or in God and feel our hearts moved and desire for change as much for one another as we do for our own kind. And, um, and I feel like that's part of the, the difference that might happen that will help us heal and, and transform as a nation. So let me follow up on that and ask you as well. We will have watched, and I think the three of you have watched the documentary, We Are Newtown. And the thing, one of the things that, of course, strikes me in that documentary, they're talking about two different communities and the way in which they've been impacted by gun violence. One black community and a particular uh, pastor who lost a family member, a young black male to gun violence. And the other, of course, the community of Sandy Hook. What strikes me is that the, the film's title itself, We Are Newtown, so that people are able to identify with Newtown. What would it take for people to be able to say, we are Bridgeport or we are Chicago or we are Baltimore, or we are Harlem. So why the Newtown people couldn't have said that? She took the words out of my mouth. 
I was wondering why isn't the documentary called We Are All Hartford? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm right with you on that. And I think that I think the documentary the documentary is helpful as far as unmasking the ways by which, in this case, the intersection of both race and class prohibit us from seeing our common humanity and our common connections and how we are all alienated in the face of power and the disproportionate access to power historically for some communities. And also, let's be honest, I'll speak as a Christian, and how sin, that seeking of our own will, instead of the will of God that distorts our relationships with God, with one another and with creation, is fundamentally a part of this. So, you know, the, the fact that we can't all see ourselves as either Newtown or Hartford is a manifestation of that sinfulness where we put ourselves first and not the other. The wonderful thing that I like to see in, in, that, in that fine documentary, right at the front end, you see Bishop James Curry, Jim Curry, Bishop Suffragan, now retired. And he's been passionate and committed to trying to break down those, those walls that alienate us based upon race and class and geography here in Connecticut long before the Newtown tragedy. And he continues in his retirement. So it, it's nice to see Jim as perhaps, I think, the, the, the religious leader representative of, if you will, mainline Protestantism in that, in that video. One thing that I would like to underscore going back to the question about what difference does it make, I think the video does begin to demonstrate how as we come together across our differences, we have the power to affect profound change. In our little corner known as Bishops United Against Gun Violence, crossing those boundaries has been very important in our life and work. First and foremost, we are not an organization. We're not an official anything. We are a network of relationships within the House of Bishops committed and passionate about addressing the epidemic of gun violence in our country. And we've deliberately, at a relational level, tried to embrace the many differences that even that we have in the House of Bishops regarding firearms in our society. We are, we are a decidedly and committed big tent, as I mentioned, where we have you know, lifelong NRA members with permits for concealed carry right through bishops who uh, want to do away with the Second Amendment. And we're forced to engage our differences for the sake of a larger whole. And in this case, the whole being, why do 30,000 Americans die from gun violence every year? And we do that at really that what difference does it make for me at four levels. At the very personal level, I mean, having buried a young Episcopalian who had died at the hands of the shooter in Sandy Hook, to, to just personally know that there are bishops whose hearts break too because of the folk that they've had to bury matters so much to me. At the interpersonal level, every time there's a tragedy, a shooting tra- tragedy, bishops rally to provide support to the bishop in that place. So interpersonally, there's huge outreach. Institutionally, within our church, 
if we're not using the access that we have and the power that we have to raise up our voices and call the faithful to address the tragedy of gun violence, the 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 and and use our voices in education, in public witness, and in advocacy, then who in our church is otherwise going to? So we need to to be responsible for the role and function and power given to us institutionally. And in American culture, where are we having conversations across differences to address the epidemic of gun violence? I like to believe that that witness of Episcopal bishops across our differences really is a sign and symbol to our country that we can come together on these issues. And you know, in that respect, with the going back to the the question of race and the intersectionality of racism, poverty, and gun violence, as Bishop Eugene Sutton once commented, and then we as Bishops United picked up on it, that unholy trinity of racism, poverty, and gun violence is a deadly mix, and we need to unpack all of them together and not singularly because they're so related. If I may, uh, just uh, going back earlier on when I was a, a rector of an urban church in Massachusetts and was very involved in uh, trying to promote needle exchange in a city that was not really open to it. If people got dirty needles, they get sick of from AIDS and they die. And what I learned through that, this is my impression, is that the, the resistance to needle exchange was sort of a subliminal notion that those lives are expendable. And in our culture, it is deemed that some lives are expendable. And if we're going to embrace the Christian witness, we have to say and demonstrate at every possible moment that no life is expendable. And we've seen, and you can document it, and all the, uh, uh, the demographics suggest this, is that people of color, their lives are more expendable than white people. And that documentary that we looked at about We Are All Newtown, the father, who is a pastor whose son was killed, didn't get the same kind of attention recognition as the families in Newtown did. The horror extends all the way across. And we, I think as bishops, want to make sure that we encourage and we include everyone in, in, in this process. No, thank you for that. And I'm struck as well from that video that not only uh, did his son's murder or death not get the same attention, but the people from Newtown were able to admit and confess that they automatically believed because it was a black male that was killed, that he was indeed involved in gang violence. Mm -hmm. And so that not only does do people of color and their killings uh, not get the same attention, but there are presumptions of guilt and not innocence, right? Yeah. And so that when white people are killed uh, as a result of gun violence, there's a presumption of innocence, that they did not deserve it. Where on the other hand, people of color, there is a presumption in some way of their complicity in their own death. And it reminds me of something that Brian Stevenson says in his book, Just Mercy, that one of the ways to our common humanity is to recognize our common vulnerabilities and that we are all in some way broken. And if we can 
cross in some way those divides and perhaps in this discussion of gun violence recognize how we are all in some respects very vulnerable to gun violence which leads me to ask what do, what are your hopes in terms of bishops united what would you, what are your goals for this network in its response what would you like to see happen well my my uh, there there are two dimensions to this one is that as we are purveyors of language, if we can change the use of language from gun control to gun safety, as soon as you turn, use the word gun control, uh, my experience is people line up on opposite sides of the room and conversation stops. Gun safety is something that everyone can, can engage in. Secondly, this is not a Second Amendment issue. That's what the NRA keeps promoting. No, it's a public safety issue. And if we can uh, change the conversation, we did this 30, 40 years ago around race when we began to identify people in different ways and that changed people's thinking. That's one small thing. The other piece is uh, the gun rights folks and the folks that I talk to are, I would say, desperately afraid that uh, those who want to reduce gun violence have an ulterior motive, which is to take away guns. That's not our motive. And I think at some level, they realize that this is going to shift. This is going to shift, and we are going to have more sensible gun legislation and laws and all the rest of it make people safer. But they want to hold on to this, this identity, this Marlboro Man image that many of them carry. And we need to continue to push this, push this in a way such that people can hear it, people can embrace it. And that's an art. And when we frame it in a religious context, I think we have a greater opportunity to move it forward into a safer way of living. So let me just give you part B to that question in response to your response. How do we change the conversation? What is it that Bishops United can do, and we're talking about bishops of the Episcopal Church, right? And so how does the Episcopal Church, how does Bishop United become more part, or how do you see it becoming more a part of the public discourse on this issue so to change the conversation? 30 years ago in the AIDS crisis, people who were working to reduce the specter, the scourge of AIDS, <laughs> would not work with each other because they were competing for attention and for dollars. Uh, we have discovered in the gun violence movement that there are lots of different entities around and about, uh, and we don't necessarily work together very well. Uh, my experience is religious people have the capacity, certainly Episcopalians uniquely have the experience of bringing disparate groups together who are often on the same side. And that's something that we can, uh, those, are, those are coalitions, those are things, partnerships that we, can, that we can facilitate. It takes a lot of work, a lot of work, but that's something I think we can do. Just as a follow-up to that, I think creating a new narrative and a new space for conversation and modeling civil discourse is a fundamental role and function of Bishops United Against Gun Violence. Too often, the conversations on both sides are so politicized that there is no opportunity to, to speak across our differences. As we all agree, 30,000 American lives a year cannot be countenanced. We need to do something. We need to create a new space and a new narrative where those who want gun safety, both gun owners and those who are not gun owners, can come together.
and particularly in American civil discourse or uncivil discourse today, and in our political sphere, there are precious few spaces where such differences can come together for the sake of life. I'd like to say one more thing about that is that, you know, social change is a mystery and we can look back on a movement and we can see the different pieces and the voices and the, you know, the triggering events, but we never really know when we're in the midst of a social movement, what those pieces, how it's going to line up for us. And it does require faithfulness when you don't know exactly where things are going or what the next what the next part will be. I happen to believe this is a time of temporary insanity. I think we are living in a time that we will look back on, someone will look back on and say, how on earth could that have been a part of the given reality of American society? The way we look back now on lynching, the way we look back now on smoking in public, the way we're starting to look back on the way we've treated our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. And so I think we don't know exactly what our role will be, but our call is to be faithful and to remain part of the conversation toward hope and a new vision of possibility that when we get there, people will look back and they'll say, well, of course, this is what we needed to do. But as we move toward it, it remains, um, it remains elusive. And I, and I do want to challenge sister and brother religious leaders in other denominations to begin to come together within their denominations and across denominational structures as Christians to do this work. Why is it that Episcopalians are doing this? And where are our sisters and brothers ecumenically in this fight? Of course, there are faiths united, and that's a wonderful interfaith venture. Where are the other faith communities stepping up to provide this kind of leadership? I feel like we need to invite, support, encourage, model for Christian leaders in other denominations what we've been about as Bishops United so that they too in their sector, in their home, in their communities can begin to do the same kind of organizing. And that's a, I think is a key component of building this social change that we're about. Thank you. And that leads me to a final question that I have for you. Of course, we are having this conversation in the context of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union, where I am dean. And so we are most concerned about the formation of our students as they began to go forward into ministries, whatever ways in which they have discerned their ministry to be. And we are most concerned that as they go forward in their ministries, that even if they are going forward as ordained ministers hoping to work in the church, that they will see their ministry as going beyond the church. And so we're hoping to prepare them in such a way that they are not only able to work in a particular parish or church environment, but in fact, to be church in the world and to reflect the gospel in the world. And so while I have three bishops uh, before me, I want to ask you the question, what kind of formation needs to take place? for the students and Episcopalians in general to start to see and care about not only this issue of gun violence, but all victims of gun violence. I would maintain that in addition to CPE, clinical pastoral education, which is a requisite 
part of one's uh, formation, at least to be ordained an Episcopal priest, that there be a, a community organizing component. And uh, to CPE throws people into clinical situations that that are uh, unnerving and, and they learn through that. But to put people into situations uh, where fairness is not, is clearly not uh, in evidence, where uh, there's inequity and inequality, uh, where there's violence or there's cruelty, to be in those situations and how, how can we use the church, the elements of the church, elements of the gospel to bring people together uh, to work against that. I, I'll answer as a former seminary professor for 22 years, closely associated with the Episcopal Divinity School, and probably not surprised that what I'm about to say has been informed by being part of EDS for 22 years, is that formation is not fundamentally about forming leaders for the church. Formation is about forming leaders to take their role in the mission of God. So the, the movement from being church-focused in our seminary preparation to being mission of God-focused is a fundamental curricular pedagogical uh, framing that needs to happen in our seminaries. We are raising up leaders, yes, in the church, whose passion is not to keep the church in business, but to serve God's mission of restoration, reconciliation, and liberation. I know that, that that's what EDS is about. And I think that is, you know, you need to keep on keeping on when tempted to make better church leaders to stand strong and say, we are making leaders, we are forming, helping to form leaders for the mission of God, and that will result in a more faithful church. Thank you. And I think the beginning of, of that and, uh, is indeed building the kind of relationships that we're building with the three of you and with bishops united. And even as you speak of partnerships and doing this work together, these are partnerships with organizations not only who are engaged already in this kind of social justice work outside of the church, but within the church as well, as you've all articulated. And with, I hope, other seminaries and other places where students are being trained and formed for the ministry. As we wrap up, let me ask you, is there something that I didn't ask that you would like to say and to end with as we think about and this very significant issue, which is as Bishop Buddy says, we're in a time of madness on so many levels, but it is a crisis in our world today. And so we, as we respond to this crisis, is there something left to be said as to what we can do and that you would want to say and leave with our listening audience? I, I'm reminded of, you mentioned Brian Stevenson earlier, the great social justice advocate and reformer of our time. He often speaks as well of of the importance of being proximate to suffering and to the ills of our society. And I would say to anyone, uh, be it a seminary a student striving to discern his or her call in ministry, to myself as a bishop, to anyone in our congregations, that when you are close to someone who has been directly affected by gun violence and you hear their stories, it is transformative. And there is a growing, broken-hearted community of people in this land whose lives have been forever changed. And if we are close to them and hear their stories and create forms for, their, for them to tell their stories, we have done 
a great service, not only to them by befriending and walking alongside them, but allowing their pain to be transformed by the hope that out of that pain and death, a resurrection, new life, and new promise can be born. I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you very much. And I thank each of you, Bishop Douglas, Bishop Buddy, and Bishop Beckwith from Bishops United for joining us here at Episcopal Divinity School at Union for this important conversation in the beginning of the work that we will all be doing together. Thank you.